0: Good evening, everybody. So, this is week two. This is the week we talk about love. And I say that at the beginning because it's going to take a while for it to circle back around. So, put a pin in that. This week, we're talking briefly about love. And this is a homily, like Claire said, which is a weird kind of form for me as somebody who preaches, who speaks on a weekly basis because I'm supposed to be short. And in order to do that, it means that my job is to talk about just one thing— and try and say it in a way that you'll remember. So that thing is love, and then we'll get to what the point is. But I want to start by kind of, I guess, kind of ranting about a thing that I think is annoying, which I think a good way is to need to start. So the question is, have you ever wondered what is going on, or have you ever shared my grievances with wrapping paper? Wrapping paper, yeah. I'm asking this for a few reasons. I'm asking this, one, as a dad. And I'm also asking it as an occasional receiver of gifts. And as a dad, the dad side of me is annoyed for two reasons principally. Number one is that we spend money on this thing, which is weird. We spend money on a thing, and then we, like, tear it up and throw it away immediately, which feels wasteful. But more important than that is that it ends up being my job on Christmas morning to kind of follow around the room and, like, create an ever-larger ball of trash, does anyone else do this or have a, a person in your home? It doesn't have to be a dad thing. It could be any parent. But in our home, that's my deal, making the trash ball, which eventually gets too big, and you have a second ball, and it's, it's terrible is the point. And then on the other side, as a receiver of gifts, I have another problem with wrapping paper, and it is why am I working for this? I feel like I'm saying this in Travis's voice. <laughs> like, why, why am I having to work for this present? Why have you done this to me? Do any of you have that one relative that like wraps the paper, wraps the gift in that like crazy paper that I don't know where you find it, but it's like sheet metal essentially, and they use like the crazy tape and like you can't get into the thing? And none of this even gets close to like the craziness of dealing with bows, right? That's another sermon. We'll talk about that in the faith week. But anyway, I once had these friends that Maybe they're in this room. I don't remember who this person was, actually. But they would use bags, like velvet bags. Is that a leech thing? Do you guys do this? No. <laughs> if I had friends. Who, what? Your mom did? Yes. People that do bags are heroes, like truly. Like that is that is leveling up as a human being. So they, like, put the presents in a bag, and then you just open it. It's much It's much better. My point is this. My point is that if the goal of wrapping paper is secrecy, then it seems like there are other ways to achieve that goal that are far less wasteful and expensive and annoying. The bag, for example, just holding a sheet in front of a pile of things and then just dropping it. All that to say, then, that I'm convinced, since there are cheaper, better ways of doing the secrecy thing, I'm increasingly convinced that our goal is not, in fact, secrecy with wrapping paper. I think the goal is actually to hear that sound and to create that chaos in your room and that mess. I think that to some degree, we want to make kids work for it also. And at this point in the script, I almost wrote that we want to make them work for it out of spite. But that's not, <laughs> that's not true either. OK, Graham, like, put your back into it. I want you to earn the Legos this year. That's not true. The truth, though, is complicated, I think. Because I think we wrap gifts instead of just putting, pulling them out of a closet or, like, hanging up a sheet and dropping it. I think we wrap gifts because what we really want is to see people participate in the act. They're not earning the gift by tearing into it, but in some kind of strange and mysterious way, Being the person to reveal the gift does seem to kind of make it more fully theirs. And the proof of this theory, as all of you know, if you've gotten your, like, advent bags from us, is, of course, advent calendars. Each morning, my kids each have one of those calendars, and they open them up, and and heaven help anybody, be it a parent or a sibling who thinks it is acceptable to punch the little door for somebody else on their advent calendar. That's like... Sin number one. A few years ago, when Graham was smaller, his sisters would sometimes try to, like, get him started on the door, and he he would kill them. Like, he would, like, be furious about it. I know the point of those calendars is the chocolate, theoretically. But don't tell kids, don't tell your kids or any kids or adults, don't tell people that that little door isn't part of the point. We gain something from opening a present that goes beyond the present itself. And it's hard to explain what it is or why, but it's true. Now have all of this in mind tonight, because a little while ago, Molly and Dan came up here to light the second candle in our advent wreath, and as they lit the candle, they read a passage from the Gospel of Luke that's known as Zachariah's song. It's one of two songs that are included in the gospel accounts of the nativity story. And the other song is Mary's song, which is the banger on the mixtape, right? Like, that is the one that people remember. It's sometimes called the Magnificat, so it has a whole nother name to it, which is cool. Anyways, it's obviously more popular. It is, after all, a song sung about the birth of Jesus, right? But Zachariah's song is less about the present, I'm contending, and it's more about the wrapping paper, his wife, Elizabeth, isn't pregnant with the Savior. She's pregnant with John the Baptist, who, we should admit, drew the short straw when it came to having more famous relatives than you. But in any case, one of the things that Zechariah's song says is this. It says, you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. That last turn of phrase becomes synonymous with John's whole ministry. It keeps coming up. He makes the pathway straight for his cousin, is what the scripture tells us. He's the guy whose job it is, whose job it will be, rather, to announce that the Savior has been born, to unwrap the present for everybody else. But until this week, I have to admit, I've always really struggled with this assignment and with John's story because, well, I've been thinking a lot about it like a dad thinks on Christmas. Morning, because is announcing Jesus, is unwrapping Jesus really necessary? Zacharias sings that it is, he sings that it is necessary for his son to do this job because, quote, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. But you've got to wonder, does the morning light really need somebody to say, Hey, dawn is breaking in five minutes. Doesn't the sun do a pretty good job every day of announcing itself? I'm not trying to be a downer. And if you've never quibbled with the story of John the Baptist, I'm not telling you that you need to. But I keep thinking about why, why we have been asked. John was asked and we have been asked to participate at all in God's story. If God is who he keeps saying that he is, who he is revealing himself to be, then what do any of us have to offer that adds anything to what he's doing? What flashlight are we going to shine on right before the sun breaks? Why isn't the work finished already? Haven't we proven over the last 2,000 years of infighting and scandal and schemes as a church that we're probably just going to make a bigger mess? I think this is where the wrapping paper analogy really starts to make sense to me. What I'm starting to wonder is if the point isn't that John has to announce Jesus' birth, the way an announcer kind of rallies up a crowd before the home team comes out of the tunnel like at a football game or something. John isn't Jesus' hype man, which is, I think, how I thought about him forever. But instead, I think the point, the point is about just how excited God is to share this gift and how participating and unwrapping it helps us to discover that it's ours. Don't worry about the mess. Our Father will clean it up. But being invited to play a part in God's story turns out to be one of the clearest ways that God shows us that he loves us. One of my favorite hobbies each year is to make a best-of CD. Evie knows. She's at the center of this story, actually. So I know I'm old and I'm getting older, but I'll be the first to admit that I don't do a very good job when I make this year every year. I make this list, the CD that's the best music of the year according to me, and I say best of even though I know there are tons of things I don't listen to and don't pay attention to. But what I can guarantee, with one exception in 2017, is that every song on there is from the year in question. I made a mistake in 2017, which a couple of people have never let me live down, but generally speaking, it is music from that year and this is a favorite thing of mine to do all year long i try to pay attention to what's happening in the genres of music that i have the margin and the interest to keep up with and then all year long i kind of keep spotify going and if i hear about a, an album that's supposed to be good i just toss it into this playlist and by the fall there's usually a thousand or 1100 songs in this playlist and then the hard thing comes because i have to listen to all of those songs and figure out what ones i like And then at Christmas, I make this mixtape, basically, of my favorites, and I give it to a handful of friends who care about this thing, and then also a handful of friends that don't care but still take it from me every year out of an act of kindness. But this year, even though I do this every year, something really interesting happened because in the fall, when I was starting to do the part of the project where I have to actually listen to a thousand songs, I was also spending a ton of time each week in the car with Evangeline because she was playing softball far away, and so we had to do this commuting like three days a week for practices. And Evie is also into music these days, albeit so be at Mostly Taylor Swift, she's proud to announce that she's in the top 2% of Taylor Swift's listeners on Spotify, according to her wrapped this week. And so anyways, on our drives out to Davidsonville for practice three times a week, I asked her one day if she wanted to help me out, if she could, like, listen to the music from 2020 with me, and she could, like, run the iPod, run the phone, and, like, put little hearts on stuff that was good. She said she would. And so for most of the fall, we shuffled our way through 2021, and her job was to do that, was to kind of set aside the things that were good. This was fun. I had a good time. It was nice to share the music with her and then this past week, I started the other side of the project, right, of like putting the the final playlist together. And I sat down and I was doing all this work, and then Evie came out and she sat down next to me and was like reading over my shoulder and noticed that some of like our favorite things were not on there, and this was like a, a source of distress. And so, she did this hard work of, like, sitting with me and figuring out, like, how to reorder things. She, like, cut some stuff so that stuff that she liked could fit back in there. She played this, this role. And there is a part of me that assumed that the minute that she sat down and tried to do that, that something would kind of, like, animalistic would stir in me, and I'd be like, this is my hobby, okay? Like, Daddy builds the model trains. Like, this is how we do it. This is what I need for my relaxation, but that's not what happened what happened was something much better, and it is that I got excited because I was happy to share something that I loved with somebody I love and to see them trying to figure it out and to see them learn to do it too. Now, this is not a perfect metaphor, but I wonder if that's part, if that's part of what the John the Baptist story is doing in the Bible. I wonder if it's part of what our stories are doing, still existing in this big, messy plot at all. God doesn't just want us to get the gift. He wants us to become. He wants it to become a gift that we love too, a gift that we understand. He wants us to care about this world and what He is doing in it. He wants us to hear what He hears In a sense, letting us participate can seem like asking somebody to do work they didn't sign up for, which may be how Evie felt some of those times driving out to practice. Or it might be something you could see as trusting a very important job to amateurs, which is how I often feel when I think about the church. (laughs) But I'm starting to see that it's really a lot more like a Christmas morning where the work of unwrapping, the work of participating, helps us to share our Father's heart This week, we're talking about, do you remember? Love, right? And here's the thing. Real love seeks another's good. It's not just about convincing somebody that you like them. It's putting their well-being and their growth and their wholeness and their fullness above your own. In some ways, that's a kind of self-sacrifice, which is rough, but I think it's more than just the old words that we pass around about dying to ourselves. I think it's also the joy of seeing somebody open a gift. Our God sacrifices Himself. Our God paves the path to redemption, and our God invites Jesus' cousin to tell folks that Jesus is here because God is excited for us to discover how much we're loved and to see with His eyes. He wants us to participate in the story, not just to be the objects of His affection, which means that God's love is aiming at our wholeness, at our true joy and our growth and our participation, in addition to just aiming at our salvation. And I wonder if we reflect on that enough, and maybe week two of Advent is the time to do it. Jesus isn't medicine that God is trying to convince us to take. Jesus is a gift that we're invited to unwrap and to claim and to embrace and to enjoy. This week, I hope that's the thought that you take with you, that one thing in the homily you're supposed to remember. God is inviting us to participate in the story of his love for the world because he wants us to learn to love the world, too. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll receive communion. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the hard things. Thank you for the things that we don't understand and that are confusing. God, thank you for being a mystery, really, Thank you for being more than than we could ever wrap our heads around on a Christmas morning. God, we love you as best we can. Pray that you'll help us to continue to grow and to change and to understand as deeply as we can that we are loved so that we can learn to love others.